everybody. This is Joseph P. Farrell with news and views from the Nefarium on Thursday, May 9th, 2019. And the Nefarium has been busy. First, let me get uh, take care of the business. Tomorrow there is a vid chat. It is the 6.30 U.S. Central Time uh, America's Pacific Rim vid chat. So I hope to see everybody there. Get your questions in. I've already got some questions in. I'll be there as usual a little early and just uh, sit around and talk with people. But let's go right to today's article because this is a really important article. Uh, I want to thank uh, MW for spotting this and sending it along and as well to Whitney Webb who wrote the article. Um, I'll link this. Uh, in the YouTube feed and on the website. It's a, it's a long article, but it's well worth your attention. Because let me set some context, context here. I've been talking for a number of years on the website about what I've been calling the emergence of GMO geopolitics. And this really began in a certain sense with the Ukraine and all of the Western attempts at regime change in the Ukraine. Lying in the background of that, you'll recall, you might or might not recall, was Vice President Biden's son, Hunter, having some connections to the uh, agribusiness uh, community and some deals that were quietly negotiated between a certain select number of American agribusiness companies and the new Ukrainian government that overthrew the other government, and that was the one the West was backing, that new government gave certain port facility uh, privileges, kind of like, think about Venice during the Byzantine Empire and the privileges that the Venetians had inside of Constantinople to contract trade. Well, this was more or less the deal that was worked out between the new Ukrainian government that the West installed and some of these agribusiness companies. In other words, they were looking to turn the entirety of the Ukraine, the, the breadbasket of Europe, into a GMO uh, fortress, so to speak. You'll recall as a response to this, the Russian government really basically banned GMOs and Russian agriculture is booming. This is this is the interesting thing. No one's making the connection. Well, we need GMOs, you know, to raise our crops, and we need that glyphosate. But Russia has banned all of this and is doing a land office business. And I, at the time, argued that Russia was positioning itself, if it was if it played its cards carefully, to be a major supplier of heirloom seeds. That's what it is now the term for just plain ordinary seeds that farmers use to grow crops. They're not GMO seeds. In other words, they're not patentable, all right? So there's a lot playing in the background in the Ukraine. Now, what I find very interesting about this article by Whitney Webb, and I'm going to read some paragraphs here because they're just mind-blowing information in this article. You see the same pattern now emerging vis-a-vis, guess what, Venezuela. And this is called the Seeds of Regime Change, and I'm going to begin right at the second and third paragraphs in this article. Listen carefully. Quote, 
As the political crisis in Venezuela has unfolded, much has been said about the Trump administration's clear interest in the privatization and exploitation of Venezuela's oil reserves, the largest in the world by American oil giants like Chevron and ExxonMobil. Yet, the influence of another notorious American company, Monsanto, now a subsidiary of Bayer, has gone greatly unmentioned. While numerous other Latin American nations have become a free-for-all for the biotech company and its affiliates, Venezuela has been one of the few countries to fight Monsanto and other international agrochemical giants and win. However, since that victory, which was won under Chavista rule, the U.S.-backed Venezuelan opposition has been working to undo it. So in other words, read between the lines there. Venezuela is one of the few countries in South America that has not succumbed to the GMO uh, giants like Monsanto. And now we're seeing the payoff. And let me skip several paragraphs here. In 2004, then-president of Venezuela, Hugo Chavez, surprised many when he announced the cancellation of Monsanto's plans to plant 500,000 acres of Venezuelan agricultural land in genetically modified soybeans. The cancellation of Monsanto's Venezuela contract led to what became an ad hoc ban on all GM seeds in the entire country, a move that was praised by local farmer groups and environmental activists, in contrast to anti-GM movements that have sprung up in other countries, Venezuela's resistance to GM crops was based more on concerns about the country's food sovereignty and protecting the livelihoods of farmers. Now, again, this is precisely what we saw emerge in India after the agribusiness giants went into India. And this is one of the things that we've seen happen in this country as individual farmers who don't even want GMO, GMO foods were hauled into court when GMO crops, you know, by dint of the processes of nature, would show up on their land. They were hauled into court and sued for not paying the royalty license on the GMO crops that by processes of nature, showed up on their land. So in other words, it is about food sovereignty, and it is about the livelihoods of farmers. And, you know, I don't have much good to say about uh, governments like Mr. Chavez's government and its policies, but on this one, I'm four square behind what they were trying to do. Skipping again in a paragraph or two, in 2013, a new seed law was nearly passed that would have allowed GM seeds to be sold in Venezuela through a legal loophole. That law, which was authored by a member of the Chavista United Socialist Party of Venezuela, was widely protested by farmers, indigenous activists, environmentalists, and eco-socialist groups, which led to the law's transformation into what has been nicknamed the People's Seed Law. That law passed in 2015 went even farther than the original 2004 ban by banning not just GMO seeds, but several toxic agrochemicals while also strengthening heirloom seed varieties through the creation of the National Seed Institute. Now, I want you to remember something else as we're looking at the pattern of GMO politics. Iraq 
had such a seed bank, which went conveniently missing. And then Syria also had such a seed bank. So in other words, everybody's talking about oil, but I submit to you there's another player behind the scenes here, and that's agribusiness. There's another agenda, and that's GMOs and the attempt to get rid of heirloom seeds because no one owes anybody a penny to plant those kinds of seeds, okay? That's the bottom line here. Now, this uh, Ms. Webb, in her article, also points out another key thing, and I have, to, I have to bring this to your attention. There's a section of this article, it's quite long, where she talks about the AEI axis, the American Enterprise Institute axis, and she points out that many key figures in the AEI are members of the Trump administration, John Bolton, Elliot Abrams, Mike Pompeo, Roger Noriega, and so on. But she also points out that AEI is also a promoter of GMOs. And I'm skipping several paragraphs here to read you this from her article. Quote, while the AEI is best known for its hawkishness, it is also a promoter of big agricultural interests. Since 2000, it has hosted several conferences on the promise of biotechnology and genetically modified seeds and has heavily promoted the work of former Monsanto lobbyist John Enteen, who was, who was an AEI visiting fellow for several years. The AEI also has longtime connections to Dow Chemical. The most likely reason for AEI's interest in promoting biotech, however, can be found in its links to Monsanto. In 2013, the nation acquired a 2009 AEI document obtained through a filing error and not intended for public disclosure that revealed that the think tank's top donors, the form known as Schedule of Contributors, revealed that the AEI's two top donors at the time were the Donors Capital Fund and billionaire Paul Singer. Now let me skip. It is AEI's top individual donor, <clears throat> Paul Singer, noted in the accidental schedule of contributors' disclosure, who is most the most telling about the private biotech interests guiding the Trump administration's Venezuela policy. Paul Singer, the controversial billionaire hedge fund manager, has long been a major donor to neoconservative and Zionist causes, helping to fund the foreign policy initiative, the successor for the project for a new American century. Remember that one, folks? We need a new Pearl Harbor. That's the project for a new American century. And the neoconservative and Islamophobic Foundation for the Defense of Democracies, in addition to AEI. He's notably one of the top political donors to Senator Marco Rubio and has been intimately involved in the recent chaos in Venezuela. He has been called one of the architects of the administration's current regime change policy, and was the top donor to Rubio's presidential campaign, as well as a key figure behind the controversial dossier on Donald Trump that was filed and compiled by Fusion GPS. Okay, so in other words, we've got a heavy mix of GMO-influenced politics here. And here's the final clincher about this Mr. Singer. I'm skipping again several paragraphs. Quote, while Singer has been mum himself on Venezuela, he has been making business decisions that have raised eyebrows, such as significantly increasing his stake in Bayer. 
This move seems at odds with Bayer's financial troubles, a direct result of the slew of court cases regarding the link between Monsanto's glyphosate and cancer. The first ruling that signaled trouble for Monsanto and its new parent company, Bayer, took place last August, but Singer increased his stake in the company starting last December, even though it was already clear by then that Bayer's financial troubles in relation to the glyphosate court cases were only just beginning. Skipping a paragraph again. Part of Singer's interest in Bayer may relate to Venezuela. Given that Juan Guaido's plan país to rescue the Venezuelan economy includes a focus on the country's agricultural sector. In other words, we're going to save Venezuela by saving Venezuelan agriculture, and we're going to save Venezuelan agriculture by getting rid of all that organic food that the farmers are planting and bringing in GMOs. Okay. In other words, it's the Ukraine template. It's the it's the Iraq template. It's the Syria template. Continuing, <clears throat> uh, notably prior to and under Chavismo, agricultural productivity and investment in the agricultural sector took a backseat to oil production, resulting in under 25% of Venezuelan land being used for agricultural purposes, despite the fact that the nation has a wealth of arable land. The result has been that Venezuela needs to import much of its food from abroad, most of which originates in Colombia or the United States. So they're already open to GMOs. Let's bring in some more. Under Chavez and his successor, Maduro, there has been a renewed focus on small-scale farming, food sovereignty, and organic agriculture. So, and I'll leave it to you. This, Folks, this is a very long article. I printed it out, and it's over seven pages, but uh, it's by Whitney Webb, and again, it's called uh, Seeds of Regime Change, and it's well worth your attention because it kind of encapsulates what I've been calling the GMO geopolitics that I think we're watching kind of emerge under the radar in, in Russia, the Ukraine, Iraq, Syria, and now Venezuela. And again, let me stress, Venezuela is the only country really in Latin America that has attempted to fight the imposition of GMO foods. And as far as the Venezuelans concerned, uh, it is about their food sovereignty. So in other words, this is not only about capturing Venezuelan oil, it's about capturing Venezuela as a market for GMO politics. And intriguingly enough, Russia, of course, has been saying no. So it's going to be a very, very complex thing. But again, I think we can add Venezuela now to the template of GMO geopolitics that we've seen with the Ukraine, that we've seen in the part in India as well, Iraq, Syria, and so on. So this is going to continue. You've got, uh, with buyers' involvement, you've now got a hidden German interest, of course, in seeing a regime change in Venezuela. So this is going to get very, very interesting, folks. Watch it. Uh, and I will link Miss Webb's article so that you can read it in its entirety. It's well worth your time. And don't forget, tomorrow we've also got the uh, members vid chat at about 6.30. I'm going to probably start early. Um, I'll be in there early for the pre-chat, so I hope to see everybody tomorrow. Anyway, that's it for today's news and views. Bye-bye, everybody, and God bless.